Insurance and Injury Law Show set to go again. The number anytime is one 990 or help at Say We'll get to some other uh, resources you can use throughout the show. I want to mention as well that starting in uh, January of 2019 on Global TV, In Your Corner will be a uh, basically a televised version of this show coming to your Sunday mornings at 8.30. Again, In Your Corner with Savan and James happening early January 2019. I'll be there looking uh, looking forward to that. Fellas, James, uh, Savannah, good to uh, talk to you guys again today. Um, a lot of stuff to get through today, a lot of emails to get through. I know there's questions all the time, but first we get into a a bit of a week that was each week here. And Savannah, I think you're going to kick it off today, right? Yeah, John, I'm going to uh, start with an email that uh, I had received from a gentleman uh, who has been uh, with a bank. Uh, he's been working with a bank for almost 30 years. Wow. And, uh, you know, let me just jump into it and, and read you what he wrote me. He says, hi, I'm employed with, uh, I'm not going to say the name of the bank, uh, mm-hmm. but with the bank for over 29 years. I have been suffering from major depression disorder and have been on LTD, long-term disability, for one year. Uh, the insurance company has canceled my benefits and I'm not having any luck so far on appeal. My doctor has not cleared me to return back to work and is recommending that I should not go back at this point. The bank is now asking what my plans are going forward. Would I be entitled to any severance as I do not plan to return to work as per my doctor's advice? So, you know, the reason I'm I'm bringing this up, John, is because clearly this individual is focused about the severance entitlements he may have as a result of not being able to go uh, back to work. And, of course, we have employment lawyers at the firm. And, of course, Lior, uh, on his uh, show with you, The Employment Hour, uh, talks a lot about severance and workplace rights. And we have a lot of people contacting us for that. But, of course, we also have individuals who are on disability and have been denied disability mm-hmm. who contact us both for the disability uh, issues that they are dealing with as well as for severance. So, in this case, of course, I would defer to Lior and his team with respect yep. to severance. And I've put him in touch, this individual, with employment lawyers at the firm. With respect to long-term disability, uh, he said that he's been on LTD for one year, and then he's been uh, uh, cut off. The insurance company has cut him off, and he said, I'm not having any luck so far on appeal. And that's something that, of course, James and I talk a lot about on this show, appeals, and what happens when you're cut off long-term disability by the insurance company. Should you appeal? And the answer that we always give, of course, is no, absolutely not. And you know, John, just before we started the show, I was chatting with James and, and I was saying, you know, oftentimes I get people contacting me, asking me not whether or not they should appeal a cutoff or a denial of long-term disability, but they ask me, okay, I'm going to appeal. How can I, uh, you know, better my chances of winning on that appeal? And I have to then, of course, explain to them what an appeal actually is and that an appeal is an internal process within the insurance company. And it's almost designed, not almost, it's designed essentially, I think, to frustrate the insured individual. Because the reality is that rarely do these appeals actually work. And oftentimes people get uh, denied, then they appeal, they get rejected on appeal, they're invited to appeal again a second time, they get rejected again, then a third time. And by the Mm -hmm. time they end up you know, understanding that these appeals are really useless. In fact, they're they're comical almost, right? right? I mean, because, you know, you have these individuals who clearly are unable to work, doctors who are telling the insurance company that these people are unable to work, and yet the insurance company continues to deny their appeals. And eventually they come to us, we start a legal claim, uh, again, with the support of the doctors, and we end up resolving the claim for them. And one of the best parts of that is that once we get involved, 
we are the ones dealing with the insurance company. The individual can focus on just getting better. So to tie it back to this email that I had received from this individual, who of course is asking about severance, we're gonna help him with a severance question and make sure that he gets whatever severance he's entitled to from the bank. But at the same time, we're not gonna waste our time trying to appeal his denial from the insurance company for his long-term disability. Instead, we're gonna start a legal claim and I, I can tell you that his, uh, his claim for disability is, is well-founded and he has very strong medical documentation from his doctors. And I, you know, I, I've told this person, we are going to be able to, to get you a proper uh, a settlement with the insurance company. And, and here's the thing, John, if the insurance company doesn't want to play ball, we are willing to take it all the way if we have to. Because when we, talk, when we take on a disability claim, we're taking it knowing full well that we're going to throw everything we have at the insurance company. And once we start that legal claim, they end up coming to the table at some point, and they try to resolve the claim with us. You know, it's funny that you mentioned that, uh, you know, you'll be dealing with the insurance company. That's just not a matter of, you know, a matter of fact, yeah, we're just being friendly. No, no, they can no longer contact the person once you get involved. That's the beauty of it, right? That's right. They're not allowed to contact the individual once we get involved. And, and you know, we've had situations, um, I'm, I'm not sure, James, if you had, but I certainly had people contacting me telling me that they have hired lawyers to deal with their disability claims. And while their lawyers are dealing with the insurance company, the insurance company continues to deal with the individual directly as well. And the lawyer is okay with it. And that's not okay. Insurance companies know that once there is a lawyer involved, they are not allowed to contact the individual directly. They have to go through the lawyer. But if the lawyer okays it, then I can see an insurance adjuster simply doing what the lawyer is comfortable with, which is contacting the individual. And that's firstly inappropriate. And secondly, I think it undermines the actual claims process itself. Once we get involved, we are dealing with the insurance company. You're not dealing with the insurance company. You're dealing with us. We are that wall. And not only do we prevent the insurance company from contacting you, but we push back. And that's really, really important to understand. We are there not just to get them off your back. We are there to actually go on the attack and to make sure that they end up paying you what you deserve. We'll take a uh, short break, fellas. Lots more to go here. I know you got something else to talk about, James. I know you got a, a story you want to uh, give out as well. And we'll get to some emails and phone calls, or at least emails and stories and questions as well. The uh, the number anytime outside of show hours to get a hold of James or Savan or the team, one 9646 and help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. Lots more of the Insurance and Injury Law Show is on the way on Global News Radio. One triple eight nine nine zero ninety six forty six and help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. That's how you contact the uh, the guys. James, take it away, pal. It's your turn. Sure. I had a lady come see me last week, and I want to talk a little bit about what she's gone through before I discuss why it's really significant and how we can learn a lot about the process. So this this lady, she was injured in early two thousand seventeen. She was hit in the back of the head while playing uh, hockey and had a concussion. After that, a few months later in the summer of 2017, she's in a car accident, has another concussion, and has a cranial bleed. So her cerebral, her brain fluids are, are you know, leaking. Yeah. Um, what happens subsequently, she winds up losing the sight in one of her eyes um, and requires surgery. Now, before she had this surgery, she had applied for long-term disability benefits and remarkably was denied. And the basis for the denial, this is just shocking to me. The basis for a denial was that 
concussions heal in two to three weeks. That's what they told her. And so you're not entitled. Hold on. Who told her that? This is the insurer. Not the doctors. No. Okay. Okay. Let's just make sure that's (laughs) clear. The basis for denial is, and I put this in quotes, concussions heal in in two to three weeks. So I, I really need to pick this apart because you hear something like this as a lawyer, as a person, and it's shocking. This is wrong in many, many, many ways. First of all, I'm not a doctor. I'm not going to pretend to be a doctor, but... I have certainly dealt with more than enough head injury cases to know that anyone who says concussions heal in two to three weeks as a general statement has no idea what they're talking about. None. That is not true of concussions generally, and it's certainly not true of someone who has had multiple concussions in a short period of time, as this lady did. And in any case, even if that were true, it's disregarding the fact that she's obviously got another serious injury, an issue that she's having with the cranial bleed. Um, So from a medical standpoint, this is a ridiculous thing to say. But what makes it even more shocking is that it's a completely inappropriate way to make a determination on a disability case. What do I mean by that? So if an insurance company is looking at a claim, it's fair enough for them to say, uh, you know, to take a look at what might normally happen, but they can't base their decision on what might normally happen. That's relevant information, perhaps, but the fact that most people might heal from whatever injury or disability we're talking about does not mean that they have the ability to cut you off or deny your benefits if you're not amongst most people. Because if most people do heal in a certain period of time, that means that there are a certain number of people that don't. And if you're amongst that group of people that don't, you are still entitled to your benefits if you meet the definition of disabled under the policy. If you can't return to your job, whether most people would be able to or not, it does not matter. So that's a totally inappropriate way to deal with this kind of a claim. But it gets worse. So not with respect to the insurance company, although maybe. I I have to take a look at the whole file when I get that because she just came to see me. But she went to go see a lawyer, and I'm not going to say who it was, but it's someone who really ought to know better. And, you know, this lawyer has had the file since February, or at least his firm has had the file since February, and hasn't done anything as far as I can gather to progress the case forward. I don't believe there's any mediation or settlement opportunities that have been set up, which would be bad enough in and of itself. But she's been given advice not to uh, start her claim with respect to the car accident that happened after the first concussion and not to start her accident benefits claim. And that's a part of it that really grabbed me. That's just shocking to me because if you get in a car accident, you have the ability to make a claim against your own insurance company. That's not a legal claim. That's just an insurance claim against your insurance company. And you're entitled to get up to $400 a week in income replacement benefits. And you're going to get your treatment and your medications paid for. She hasn't gotten any income replacement benefits for over a year. And she's been out of pocket thousands of dollars for her treatment and for her medications. That's absurd. That's just absurd. You have to be careful about who you're going to see, and you have to make sure that the people you're going to know what they're talking about and have your best interests at heart. Um, And, you know, I I like to think that this was an honest mistake, and I hope that it was. Um, And I'm glad that, you know, she's come to see me, and I'm, you know, quite hopeful and optimistic that we can get things going on the right course very quickly for her. And she did it in time where we can do that. But it's important that you, you know, you, that you're on the right track right from the beginning, because she's had to deal with much more than she ever should have had to, um, simply because she got some bad advice. Why the delay? 
Why would they hold off? I have February? no idea. Right. I really don't. There, I, I really cannot understand any. There's no rational explanation for it. Do you have any ideas, Swan? Yes. Anything up to mind? Uh, absolutely, I do. So you're dealing here with a car accident, and you're dealing here with a long-term disability claim. And you know, we started the show with me discussing a situation with somebody who had questions about severance as well as an LTD issue. Right. Don't assume that if you are going to a lawyer that advertises that they do disability cases, that they understand also the interplay with car accident cases. Yes, in both instances, the person has some kind of an impairment, whether it arises from an injury or a disability. But don't assume that a lawyer that does disability also understands the intricacies of car accident legislation. And, and, you know, this is important because a lot of what we do at the office is all of the above. We do employment. We have lawyers who deal with employment. We have lawyers like James and myself and the rest of the team that understand uh, injuries from accidents. You know, car accident claims are, are, they're a beast. I mean, the law changes very frequently. You have to understand the interplay between how to start a claim against whoever was at fault and with your own insurance company. So, in other words, you have different insurance companies that you are engaged with. And I think that what's happened here is that the lawyer simply does not appreciate what this lady is entitled to legally. And this lady probably does not know that the lawyer doesn't know this. There is no other explanation except that the lawyer simply does not know what he is doing. It's just that simple in my mind. We'll uh, take a short break again, fellas. Get to some emails. And uh, Savannah, I know you have one more case you want to discuss after we, uh, after we come back. In the meantime, the number anytime to get a hold of the guys, uh, 1-888-990-9646 or help at helpattheinsurancelawyer.ca. Reminder as well, that's starting in early January of next year, 2019. In your corner, the uh, televised version of this show basically is going to be on Global Sunday mornings at 8.30. In your corner is what it's called, so we're looking forward to that. But uh, right now, in the immediate future, lots more of the Insurance and Injury Law Show is on the way right here, Global News Radio. Insurance and Injury Law Show, one 990 or help at the Savannah, take it away. Okay, John. So, so this yep. is an interesting case that uh, I had dealt with last week. Uh, there was a lady that had contacted me um, in Ottawa. She doesn't live in Ottawa, but uh, she ended up coming to Ottawa for a consultation. Of course, we have an office in Ottawa, and, and so I was on the phone with one of our lawyers there. Now, this lady um, has been denied uh, long-term disability. She's a paramedic. And over the last two years, there's been a variety of reasons why she's sort of progressively gotten worse and worse and worse, both from uh, a psychological standpoint as well as a physical standpoint. And it's not getting any better. And the interesting aspect of the situation, of the claim that we were dealing with, is that she probably tried to go back to work about five or six times over this two-year time period. And, you know, her doctors... Are, are telling her she should, be, she should be off work. But of course, she says, well, I, you know, I'm going to try and go back. And, you know, being a paramedic can be very stressful, but you can have also, you know, duties that don't extend to, to the field, right? I mean, you can do things uh, at the office, so to speak. But, you know, she's a very senior person there. And, uh, you know, the issue that we were dealing with is, you know, how do you deal with a situation where a person is essentially not listening to what they're... <clears throat> sorry, to what their doctors are saying to them, telling them to be off work, and instead keep trying to go back to work. And we were grappling with that because from our standpoint, there was enough medical proof, documentation, that she should in fact be approved for long-term disability. But she doesn't want to necessarily be on disability. She wants to go back to work. So it's a catch-22, right? I mean, we're there to help her, 
be able to be successful on her claim for disability, but she doesn't want to be on disability. So how do you deal with a situation with someone who's not listening to their doctor and repeatedly goes back to work? And I'll be honest with you, I actually don't have you know, a, a very good answer for that because at some point she needs to understand that she needs to follow her doctor's advice. And the only thing that we could tell her is that she has a valid claim, but if she continues to go back, she's getting worse and worse and worse. And at the same time, we're not able to actually advance a claim for her. So I don't know, James, if you have any suggestions on that. I, I, you know, I don't know that there's anything to say other than what you've told her. I'll tell you how I deal with those kinds of issues on, on my files. Whenever I'm meeting with a new client, the first thing I tell them is that your lawsuit should not dictate how you live your life. Um, if you feel like you've improved over you know, the upcoming months and you feel like you might be ready to go back to work, I'm never going to tell a client ever that they can't go back to work. The only thing I tell my clients is that if they feel like they're okay to go back to work and they want to go back to work, talk to your doctor. And as long as your doctor says it's okay or it's okay to try, then I'm fine with it. I mean, let me know. I want to know what's happening if there's a major change in your life. But by all means, go ahead. And so if you have someone like this, someone who is just determined to go back to work despite their doctor's advice, I mean, my advice would really be the same, which is, you know, I can't tell you how to live your life. All I can tell you is that you you should be listening to your doctor. They're the ones that have the medical expertise. If you don't listen to them, then you're putting your legal claim and your health at risk. But as long as you know that, as long as I've done my job and I've made sure that you're aware of that, then you know, you're an adult, you make your own decisions. And if that's what you want to do, as long as you understand what the consequences are, then you do it. Um, so really, you know, my job as a lawyer is just to make sure that the client understands what the consequences are of all of their options. Um, and, you know, I advise them what I think they should do, at least from a legal perspective. And then it's up to them. So, so I, I absolutely agree with that. And, you know, that's the way that we had approached it. You know, one of the issues are in these kinds of situations is that, especially when you have a family doctor or treating doctors who are trying to help the individual, you know, this person will go to them and say, listen, I want to get back to work. I think I'm feeling a bit better. Doctor says, I think you should still be off work for an X period of time. But the person insists. And so the doctor then gives them a note that says that they are all okay to go back to work. And that prejudices them potentially down the road. And what's happened with this lady is that it's been an ongoing issue. So, you know, what to get out of this case, you know, the point that I'm trying to make here is that if you're in a situation like this, where your doctors are telling you that you need to take time off work to recuperate. Yes, you have an obligation to try and get better. Yes, you have an obligation to try and mitigate and try and go back to work when you are ready. But you are doing yourself a disservice, both from a physical and mental standpoint by going against your doctor's advice, which is what James is saying as well, but also from a legal standpoint, because in a way you are tying our hands if you don't follow your doctor's advice and you continue to try and, and you know swim upstream and continue to try and go back to work when you are not ready, you are potentially uh, creating a situation where we actually can't uh, you know advance your claim successfully because you're undermining what your doctors are saying and you're undermining the potential arguments that we may have to, to get the insurance company to either uh, reinstate you on disability or come to the table to negotiate a fair resolution of your claim. So, you know, be very mindful of that. It's a good thing to want to try and go back to work, but 
ultimately you do need to listen to your doctors uh, because they, they are trying to do their best for you. And, and if you don't listen to them, you're undermining both your health as well as your legal claim. So, Van, quickly, though, I mean, if you, can, if, you're, if you want to try to go back to work, and the key word here is try, does it have to be black and white, I am returning to work, or can you get your doctor to write a letter, you know, saying, look, he's going to take it out for a spin, we're not guaranteeing he might have to be off again. Can you do that? Because yes. the insurance company is going to break your hump, right? Yeah, you absolutely can. In fact, that's a very good point, John. When people go out there to their doctors and they ask them for notes, uh, allowing them to go back to work, be very careful of your doctor saying on the note, this person is fine to go back to work, that they're healthy enough to go back to work. I think that what the doctor needs to say, and again, I don't want to put words in the doctor's mouth, but what the doctor needs to say is, uh, this is a good time for this person to try and return back to work, and we will reevaluate where they're at uh, in a few days or a week or a month or whatever it is. And that leaves the possibility if the person is unable to sustain that work and has to go back off on disability, that the doctor can say, listen, he tried, she tried, they're unable to, and I think they should be off for for more time. Uh, So that's a very, very important point uh, that that, that, uh, you just made, John. We'll, uh, we'll take a short break, guys. Uh, I want to give you the number to get a hold of James, a Savannah member of the uh, the entire team, for that matter. one 990 9646 Email is help at We're going to get into a, a top five list here when we return. Have a pen ready if you need. This is important stuff. We'll get to that after a, a wee break. It's the Insurance and Injury Law Show, Global News Radio. The Insurance and Injury Law Show, one 990 and help at the As of January, early January next year, so the the clock is ticking. Can't wait for this. Uh, off to Global TV we go, guys, with In Your Corner, a televised version of what we do here each week and have been for, uh, for, for several years. That's going to TV on Global TV Sunday mornings at 8.30 called In Your Corner, so make sure you join us for that when that gets rolling uh, in January. Top five mistakes disabled individuals make when dealing with long-term disability insurance adjusters and insurance companies in general. Uh, James, you want to start it off? What do you think? Well, first let me just say that perhaps we would have been better off making this a top 10 list. Right. And the reason I say this <laughs> is because before the show started, Savon and I, we, we looked at each other's notes. I wanted to see what he had. He wanted to see what I had. And no word of a lie we each came up with five completely different ones. Now, there's some overlap, of course, but they are five different ones for each of us. So let's just call this a top 10 list, and we'll go from there. My five are as follows. Number one, not completing all treatment. You're just making it easy on the insurance company to deny your deny your claim or cut you off if you don't complete all of the treatment that's been approved for you. Um, so do that, both because it's going to help you uh, stay on your benefits and because it's likely going to help you from a health perspective. Number two, not memorializing conversations that you have with your adjuster. So once you're approved or even when you're in the process, anytime you speak with your adjuster over the phone, it's critical that you take notes while the conversation is happening. And then as soon as the conversation is over, put those notes into an email and send that to the adjuster, just the facts of what was said, saying, I'm just confirming we had a conversation today at whatever time, you said this and I said that. That way down the road, there is no dispute about what they said and what you said. They can't put words into your mouth and they can't deny that they have said the things that they have said. If they have any issue with anything in there, then it's up to them to correct that immediately. And if they don't, then that's the record that is going to stand going forward. Number three, 
not providing the necessary documentation to the insurance company. Again, this is a requirement under every policy. Right. You need to get them the right documentation. Sometimes there are things that you will have to get for them. Sometimes they are things that they will get from your doctors that might require you to follow up with your doctor to make sure that they send it in. In any case, it is up to you when you're doing the application to make sure that they have all the relevant documentation that they need in order to assess the claim. If you don't do that, again, you're just making it easy for them to deny your claim. Don't make it easy for them. Dot your I's, cross your T's. Number four, this is one we talk about all the time on the show, um, and you know I think we'll talk about this in greater detail in other segments, but appealing a denial. Don't appeal your denials. It's a waste of your time. It is an internal process. It's designed to drag things out. It is not giving you another chance. It is just there so that you have the illusion that you have another chance. You don't. Bring a legal claim. Number five, not getting a lawyer that is experienced in disability claims. Right. So you know, going back to the example I gave in the week that was, where there was a lawyer who didn't have experience in motor vehicle claims, likewise, if you're dealing with a lawyer, if you've hired a lawyer that doesn't have experience in long-term disability claims, then they're not likely going to know what to do. I'll tell you, you know, when I was preparing this, I did a little bit of research and I looked online to see what was out there. And there was another pretty prominent firm, not necessarily known for long-term disability. And they had a, a top 10 list about long-term disability. And one of the 10 tips that they gave is make sure that you get your documentation uh, within the appeal timeline. <laughs> Which, wow. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, that's, you know, a, a pretty obvious sign that your lawyer doesn't know what they're doing. If, you know, number one, they don't know that you shouldn't appeal. But number two, they're telling you to make sure that you do it within time. Um, you know, yeah. again, this is something we've talked about ad nauseum on the show. Um, if your lawyer is telling you to appeal or <laughs> more to the point, make sure you get your appeal in on time. You might want to think about hiring someone with a bit more experience in long term disability. That's a good one. I mean, your number one is like you don't go to your GP if you need knee replacement surgery, right? You got to go to a specific guy or girl. I mean, it's obvious. It's exactly true. That, right? That's yeah, right. What do you uh, What do you got for the top five? Samantha? All right. So I call them the uh, the five ass mistakes, John, because they're all based on assumptions that people make. <laughs> <clears throat> so the first one: assuming that the adjuster's first priority is you, uh-huh. rather than the insurance company's bottom line and quotas. Again, you know, we've emphasized this quite a lot. Remember, as nice as the adjuster is their master is the insurance company. They have to answer to a boss. That boss has to answer to their boss, etc. It goes up the chain. So remember, the insurance company is in it to make money. That, sh- that should be the, the way you're looking at, uh, at, at, at the claim. Number two, assuming that your insurance company will take what your doctors say at face value. Remember this. Insurance companies will ask you for your doctor's records and reports, but they're always looking for ways to undermine what your doctors are saying. In fact, sometimes they actually get their own doctors to give an opinion that's contrary to what your treating doctors are saying. So don't simply assume that because you have doctors that are saying you're disabled that the insurance company will simply agree to that. Number three, assuming that if you are approved for long-term disability, then you have nothing to fear going forward from the insurance company. Now, I'm not saying that if you get approved, you know, that you, sh- you should be on, 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 you know, pins and needles every day thinking that, you know, the next day is going to bring a denial letter. But understand that insurance companies will often approve claims, but then down the road, they will look for ways to deny you. They may be mm-hmm. sending you to their own doctors, hoping to get an opinion that contradicts your doctor's uh, opinions. Uh, they may do surveillance on you. They may do a whole bunch of things 
uh, throughout the, the lifespan of your claim uh, to figure out when is a good time to pull the trigger and to cut you off. So just be aware of that because as soon as you have you know, this gut sense that the insurance company is going to do something to undermine your claim, <clears throat> sorry, you should be calling us so that we can guide you and potentially even avert the cutoff or if they cut you off, to spring into action and act for you. Number four, don't assume that the insurance company is always right. And this is something that we see over and over and over. People seem to, you know, seem to think that if the insurance company uh, says that you are excluded because the policy excludes you for, let's say, a pre-existing condition, that it's 100% correct. Insurance companies and insurance adjusters uh, will always uh, do whatever they can to make sure that the insurance company's interests are protected. And, and you know, sometimes that means that they will tell you things, uh, sometimes consciously, uh, on purpose, sometimes not on purpose, inadvertently, that are not exactly right, which is why it's important for us to have a look at the denial letter, for us to have a look at the medical documentation, so that we can tell you literally within a few minutes whether or not the insurance company's position is correct. Generally speaking, I can tell you, John, when people come to us, after they've been cut off uh, or are about to be cut off uh, disability uh, payments, when we look at all the documentation, we often find holes in the insurance company's position. And that's what we exploit to make sure that the insurance company pays the individual what they're owed. And number five, the last thing, one of the top mistakes that I see people make is they assume that they are powerless against the insurance company and nothing can be further than uh, uh, than the truth. And, 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 you know, this stems from a perception that is out there that the insurance company is this billion-dollar entity that is invulnerable. And, and, you know, again, people need to understand these insurance companies are in the business of making money. As soon as you stand up for your rights, as soon as we start a legal claim for you because you have a legitimate claim for these benefits, which, by the way, the insurance company had collected premiums for, the insurance company starts looking for a way to resolve the claim. They're not interested in a prolonged legal battle. It costs them money. And I'm telling you that as someone who used to work for insurance companies. I remember coming to the office back then when I worked for them, getting a claim on my desk, a new claim, getting on the phone with the adjuster, and the adjuster's first question is, did you review the claim? And the next question is, how can we resolve this claim? So, you know, it's very, very important people to understand you are not powerless against insurance companies. They are in it to make money. And one of the ways that they make money is by shutting down legal claims and paying people what they're owed once those people actually stand up for their rights. So, John, those are my top five. I agree with James. In fact, I think, you know, we could have a top 100 mistakes that people make. No kidding. And and by the way, I think that one of the biggest mistakes, uh, even, even bigger than what James had mentioned or what I had mentioned, is that people simply don't check with us. Uh, when something goes wrong with their disability claim. They simply don't, uh, you know, do what we tell them to, which is give us a call or email us. It costs nothing to get this advice and to have us help you uh, or answer your questions or guide you, uh, you know, in the right way. And and then you can decide what you want to do. It's not going to cost you anything. That's what we keep saying to people. Get the information you need to make an inform, uh, an, an, an informed decision. Phone number simple, one 990 9646 Email is help at the We'll get to more of the insurance and injury law show right here on Global News Radio.
one triple eight nine nine zero ninety six forty six the number and help at the insurance lawyer.ca is the email address uh coming to global tv early january of next year 2019 in your corner we'll be taking this show to television and that will be sundays at 8 30 a.m email mention the address we'll get to one now guys uh you can either take turns or one of you wants to uh tackle this one from sandra says i've heard you talk before about insurance doctors and what to do when you are disabled and you're asked to see them in my situation i've been on ltd for eight months and i have a very bad sciatica fibromyalgia and migraines i've already seen two doctors from the insurance company and now they want me to see a third how many of these do i have to go to the first two doctors agreed that i am disabled i can't work which is what my doctors have been saying the whole time what happens if i refuse to go to doctor number three well thanks for the email sandra um the the first response i have is if you refuse to go to the third doctor, almost certainly what's going to happen is your insurance company is going to cut you off. Mm-hmm. They're going to cut off your benefits. Um, that's you know the first stage that they, when they when they say you got to go to this doctor and you don't do it, that's they're going to say that's not complying with the terms of your policy, and they may well be right. I think what you're really getting at, what you'd really like to understand as I under, as I read this email, um, is what's reasonable. How often can they make you? go see a doctor? And that's a fair question. And it really depends on the circumstances of each case. So as I gather, your claim's been ongoing for about eight months. Um, Is three doctors in eight months unreasonable? Maybe, maybe not. If it's, you know, in those eight months, if all three of those occurred, you know, within a matter of two or three weeks, and they were all with the same or similar specialties, that's probably unreasonable. That's going to look like they're just fishing for an opinion that helps them. And by the way, if the first two don't help them, and then they try and get a third one, it probably doesn't help them much anyway, because it's not like the first two didn't happen. On the other hand, if Every couple of months, they send you to go see a doctor, even if it's the same specialty. That might be reasonable because if it's a condition that changes over time, it's reasonable for them to want to get their own opinion about what your condition is at various points so that they can decide whether or not you're still entitled. Um, If you are suffering from different types of issues, as Sandra appears to be, um, she indicates sciatica, fibromyalgia, and migraines, there are different specialties uh, that the insurance company may reasonably want to get information from. So it, it always depends on the circumstances. But my advice to Sandra and to anyone else listening is that as much as you can, if they're asking you to go to an assessment, even if you don't like it, even if it's a bit of a pain in the butt, do it. Do it. It's much better to comply when you can and to extend the period of time that your insurer is paying your benefits than to force the issue, have them cut you off. Because then your recourse is either appealing, which you know we don't do, um, or bringing a legal claim, which is fine, but it means you're not getting paid for at least some period of time until we're able to resolve it. The other thing that I would mention, John, uh, for Sandra and for anybody else Mm -hmm. who's uh, facing a situation like this, not necessarily with seeing a bunch of doctors, but just generally, if you don't understand why the insurance company uh, keeps doing something, or if they're asking you to do something that you are having an issue with, uh, is simply engage them, again, in writing, in an email, asking them to explain to you why it is that they are now looking to send you to this third doctor. Don't say right. that you're not going to go, but get their position in writing. And, you know, some adjusters will actually back off because they won't have a proper reason. Or sometimes they'll give you a stupid reason, something that potentially we can use down the road if they end up using that third doctor's opinion to cut you off. So this goes back to the initial point James made about memorializing conversations 
in a situation like this where you get a gut sense, like they are in fact uh, shopping for an opinion, uh, make sure that you get their position in writing as to why it is or where it is, where it is in the policy, uh, where does it state in the policy that they have a right to send you to multiple doctors. Uh, very, very important to get these things in writing. We can use those down the road if they cut you off. Um, and also, you know, do as Sandra did if you're in a similar situation. You know, drop us a line at mydisabilityquestions.com or give us a call. You know, the advice is free, whether it's on the website or whether you call us. The consultation is always going to be free, and we're happy to walk you through it so you understand a little bit better. Again, mydisabilityquestions.com, that James mentioned, a place for free questions and answers about your LTD. There's also fightformyltd.com, that's uh, for case assessment as well. you want to check both those out when you got uh, a little bit of time. We'll take a short break here, guys. The number is one 990 and email on top of that is help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. A few minutes to go here. We'll take a break and come right back with it. It's the Insurance and Injury Law Show on Global News Radio. The number one triple eight nine nine zero ninety six forty six. Email is help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. Global TV. That's where we take the show, guys. Uh, James, Savannah, I know you guys are excited to have your uh, your faces on camera. It's good times. That's happening starting January of next year, early two thousand nineteen, and the time will be Sundays at eight thirty a.m. And the show is going to be called In Your Corner. So we're looking forward uh, looking forward to that. I think we got time for another email. Uh, Susan writes in, says my best friend has been suffering from depression for many years, but recently it's gotten very bad because her mother passed away about six months ago. She's 39 and was an account executive at a large marketing company. She applied for LTD and was denied last month because they said that her job is sedentary and she should be able to do it. This is despite the fact that her family doctor and her psychologist both say that she can't work in her current state. What are the chances of succeeding in the old dreaded A word, the appeal? Well, John, this reminds me of a riddle. Um, it's the one about the plane crashing on the border of Canada and the United States. And the riddle is, where do they bury the survivors? hey Well, <laughs> you know, this is a similar kind of thing. You know, the, yeah. the, the question itself is faulty. And I, I don't mean to pick on Susan at all here. Um, but the answer, if you listen to the show, you know what the answer is. The answer is the, the, what the chances are that, that you succeed on appeal is irrelevant because you don't appeal. Do not appeal. It is a waste of your time. What you need to do if you've been denied, as Susan's best friend has been, is to bring a legal claim and to, to hold their feet to the fire and to take the power away from them. If you appeal the denial, you are just letting them hold on to the power for much longer than you need to. Now, getting to the substance of the issue here with Susan's best friend, what are the chances that she's going to be successful in a legal claim? Well, based on what you've told us, Susan, I would say exceedingly good. Um, when you're dealing with mental health claims, the disability insurance companies are well behind the curve. Um, ins insurance companies in general for a long time had a lot of difficulty recognizing mental health claims. Um, that's something that just was denied repeatedly or was under-assessed. Um, it's something that's changing in other areas of law, but much more slowly when it comes to disability claims, but that is starting to change. Over the last few years, the courts have made it very clear that insurance companies 
have to recognize mental health claims. They cannot treat them differently than physical claims. So the test cannot be more stringent. And so if they try to get around, if they deny claims unreasonably, as it appears they're doing here, then they're going to lose. They're going to lose. And it sounds like, you know, your best friend has the support of her doctors, which is good. The fact that she's doing a sedentary job is completely irrelevant when you're talking about a mental health claim. It doesn't matter at all. We're not talking about her physical capacity here. We're talking about her ability to deal with the day-to-day demands, the intellectual and psychological mental demands that come with working in a full-time nine-to-five job, um, which can be very difficult if you're suffering from significant mental health issues. Just a couple of points that I want to make, uh, just to follow up on what James is saying. Uh, so, Number one, when he says that courts have recognized uh, mental health claims, what he's saying, and this is, I just want to make this absolutely clear, it means that insurance companies have challenged these kinds of claims all the way to court and judges have hammered insurance companies, meaning they came back with verdicts against insurance companies. So we're not talking about something that is simply, you know, up in the air. No, we have judges who have now provided opinions and verdicts saying to insurance companies, you can no longer treat uh, mental health disability uh, disabilities as different than physical disabilities. The interesting part about it, though, is where they're denying legitimate mental health claims. Not only are they exposing themselves to pay what they ought to have anyway, but someone who is suffering from depression is going to be more vulnerable to having their condition exacerbated if they're unreasonably denied by the insurance company. The insurance company denies someone with depression or anxiety their benefits and they're without their you know, financial lifeboat. That's going to have a much greater impact on them than someone whose mental health is fine but is dealing with a physical disability. So in that sense, they're opening themselves up not just to benefits under the policy, but also they're exposing themselves to general damages, to aggravated damages and punitive damages. And John, one last point. Uh, you know, this email came to us from Susan and she's writing on behalf of her best friend. And specifically when you're dealing with mental health claims, individuals who are denied uh, LTD or cut off LTD and they're dealing with mental health situations, disabilities, impairments, oftentimes are not the ones who contact us. It's the listeners out there. It's people who know people in those positions. So please, if you are listening to the show and you know someone who may be of need of this information and help, please, please, please get in touch with us or get them in touch with us because we will be able to help. Guys, that'll do it for another week. Excellent job for uh, for you listening. You want to reach out, as you're always advised to. The number is one 990 9646 Email help at And as we've mentioned throughout the last couple of shows, looking forward to this starting in January of 2019. We'll get into In Your Corner. That'll be a TV version of what we do here on Global TV Sunday mornings at 8.30. So looking forward to that as well. And looking forward to the next time we uh, convene to do this show, the Insurance and Injury Law Show. That's it for now, right here on Global News Radio.